0: Hello and welcome to Twin Talk. This is Angie and I'm sitting here at my dining room table with my lovely sister Joy. Today happens to be Labor Day and Joy and I have been cleaning our mom's house all morning and now we're doing a podcast. So Joy are you, uh, are you all tuckered out from cleaning mom's house? Yes, Labor Day is truly Labor Day and I still have schoolwork in my house to do But enough whining. (laughs) Right. Because we know these podcasts are priority, right? (laughs) Yeah. No, I enjoy the podcast. I don't look forward to cleaning my house, but that's okay. At least I have a day off. Today we're going to be talking about a book called The Coffin Quilt. And it's by Ann Rinaldi. And it was written in 1999. And this is kind of a follow-up to the last podcast we did, which if you follow us, you know that we talked about the book Blood Feud. And it was a book about the Hatfield and McCoys. Well, when I was doing my research for the Hatfield and McCoys, I came across this book. So this is a historical fiction book based on the feud between the Hatfield and McCoys. Anyway, I read a lot of really good reviews about it, so that's what made me wanted to read it. So I'm gonna go ahead and just read the back cover so you can have a little idea what it's about. Fanny McCoy has lived with fear and anger ever since that day in eighteen seventy eight. When a dispute with the Hatfields over the ownership of a few pigs set her family on a path of hatred and revenge. From that day forward, the Hatfields and the McCoys have operated not within the law, but within mountain codes of their own making. In 1882, when Fanny's sister, Rosanna, runs off with young John C. Hatfield, the hatred between the two clans explodes. As the killings, abductions, raids, and heartbreak escalate bitterly and senselessly, Fanny, the sole voice of reason, realizes that she is powerless to stop the fighting and must learn to rise above the petty natures of her family and neighbors and find her own way out of the hatred. And then there's just a a couple of reviews below it. It says, this novel has a sensational sweep that will carry readers pell-mell to the final tragic moments. And then the other uh, review says, strong characterizations fill the pages. This novel beautifully evokes a time, a place, and one of the more peculiar sagas in american history and then i wanted to read one more review and this was from a website called the western corner of the castle and from what i could tell on this website they just review books for like young adults Hmm. but anyway the reviewer on this website she categorizes this book as southern gothic have you ever heard of that Yes, I've heard of Southern Gothic, but I always think of big, huge houses. You know, usually a big, huge house plays a part in it, or a big, huge in a, a family with wealth. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I guess they go up back for generations. I don't think of kind of poor mountain people be, That's being. That's interesting because, of course, naturally I think of Wuthering Heights when I think of Gothic. Oh, right. And you and I discussed kind of at length what Gothic means back mm-hmm. in that podcast. But it never occurred to me that there, there was such a thing as southern gothic right. and i have to say this book if you it actually fits that description but anyway this reviewer says one of the surprises to the coffin quilt is rinaldi's willingness to think outside the box she not only figures that teen girls can read stories without romance and that they might be willing to read about a much younger character but she also sidesteps the stereotypes around this chosen time period While the Hatfield-McCoy feud fits the bill, the real story sprawled in so many directions that Anne Rinaldi had to find some way of containing it. Thus, we follow events from the limited perspective of Fanny McCoy. She's seven in 1880 when over half the novel takes place and she has no say in what happens as the domestic life of the family sours and shifts or the short chapters are packed with dread and woe, but daily life goes on even while the corpses accumulate. It's a less action-packed Western, more the eerie twin sister of Little House. Ooh. Yeah, so I have to say. it's Little House on the Prairie? Yes. So it's Ooh. it's kind of like, kind of evokes the same sense of time and place as the mm-hmm. Little House books, only on a much more eerie, people are dying. Dark. Level, <laughs> dark, kind yeah. of a dark. So anyway. You know, that's pretty smart, too, to make it the, from the point of view of a seven-year-old girl, because like you said, she doesn't really have to say anything to do. She maybe doesn't have as many biases yet or prejudices mm-hmm. yet, and she can kind of see it through a clearer lens. Yes. And so it's pretty smart to have a young character like that, I feel yeah, like. Yeah, I agree. As far as the reviews go, I looked on Barnes & Noble. They have a site, and I, there was 209 reviews, and I just scrolled through overwhelmingly people love this book Mm -hmm. it was just a really good what was your impression did you like the book yes yes i think it's a very good book and then do you think it's the writing the story all of the above yes my outline that i've prepared i have why i love this book and that's what we're getting ready to talk about and i have five reasons i love the book. okay so number one is very interesting Mm -hmm. okay it's a very interesting perspective because the story is told through the eyes of a child Mm -hmm. okay and then number two the author's writing felt effortless to me Mm -hmm. have you ever read a book that you just turn the page after Mm -hmm. page it's a page turner right it can never trip over anymore no it structures i I literally could just see myself just flipping pages Mm -hmm. i was reading it so quickly because it's just a page turner and you read the hardcover yes yes i did or paperback whatever but i I mean you didn't do an audiobook it's not available in audiobook because i looked right it's 218 pages i read it in my spare time in less than a week Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, one reviewer said she read it in the span of 24 hours. Wow. So if you if you have the time at all, it's a very quick read. Number three, the author was able to transport me to another time and place. So that's what I loved how she, the use of her language, the setting, and imagery. Her writing was very descriptive. It made you feel as if you were there. The thing that amazed me most about this author was her ability to use dialogue that felt authentic. Mm-hmm. It felt It felt like that is that ha- exactly how they would have talked right back then well, yes. sometimes i feel like when people try to write southern books it's over exaggerated or especially when people try to do southern accents in movies now i feel like they just over exaggerate the accents and it just almost seems comical yes it's like a caricature yeah it's almost like she used just enough of the slang to make mm. it believable Like she'd say yarn this is something i would really would be interested in knowing is if she actually researched slang of the region Mm -hmm. you know because it just felt natural natural and real okay number four i thought the characters were very diverse and very interesting i will say this and i was going to put my cons but i didn't on the book the only con i have naturally because fanny's a mccoy she's going to love all her brothers and sisters except for one there's one sister she hates really we're going to talk about that Mm -hmm. in a second but There was a couple of her brothers that she almost idolized. Mm -hmm. But after having watched the series and read the book, a couple of them she idolized. In true life, they were known to be really terrible people. Right. And in the book, they make them sound very humane, mm-hmm. very reasonable. But in real life, that's Which not... Which maybe to their family, they were. But to yes. everyone else, they weren't. So, so, so yes. So, the book, I felt like, oh, it's given... It's, it. You know, I thought, you know, that's true. It's possible they had another side that's not in, written in history. Mm-hmm. We don't know what they were really like. Okay, and then number five, she had... <laughs> okay, this is... I just thought this was very clever. She had one very interesting character in the book. Okay. And that character was a common thread throughout the book. And it was a kind of a scary monster type creature. <laughs> and she called it Yeller Thing. Okay. Okay. So Yeller Thing was this creature that only Fanny could see. It was terrifying. It was it was almost like seeing a Yeti or a mm-hmm. like Bigfoot or something. Mm-hmm. Yeller Thing would only visit her and no one else could see it. And its appearance would always foreshadow something terrible that was about to happen. I just thought, wow, that was so clever. Mm -hmm. So every time you're reading the book and Mm -hmm. Yeller Thing appears, Mm -hmm. you know something bad's going to happen. That's creepy. Yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to read just a couple passages just to give you a feel and everyone else a feel of what her writing was like. So on page 52... It says the sheep come home and left again Ma made me trinvilla and adelaide new dresses for school nights got cool and there was a ring around the full moon i went to my playhouse a lot and saw that the muskrats had built their houses big and north side of the beaver dam on the creek and was more covered with sticks than the south side and all that was a sign of a bad winter paul and my brother started gathering in the crops we planted fall turnips and cabbages they pushed over the collards and put pine bark and dirt over them to keep them for the winter we stored the pumpkins in the shuck pen the sweet potatoes in the smokehouse my brothers cut and stacked wood and we made a batch of soap from the hickory and oak ashes and i started school so wow was that kind of remind how do they have you of? time to fight with all the work they had to do <laughs> yeah definitely reminds me of a little house on the prairie and really getting a deep deep look into how people lived and how much work was involved in just surviving all right and then I wanted to read this passage here this is uh, Fanny talking she says do you want me to get word to C. about the baby I asked it was early of a morning the whispery part where even the birds speak and hush voices mm-hmm. no time she said I'll make time he should know Roe isn't right his not knowing was she going to keep it from him then he and his family are off timbering she said it was the old of the moon a good time for timbering a good time for cutting hay too Which was where Paul and my brothers had gone at first light. They never cut on the new of the moon because the sap was still in the hay and it'd take longer to dry. My family planted and harvested by the signs. The rules for this are simple. You plant in the fruitful signs of Scorpio, Pisces, Taurus, or Cancer. Hmm. You plow in Aries. You plant flowers in Libra when the moon is in the first quarter. It goes on like that and you doesn't go against the rules or corn will have small ears. Potatoes will get nubs. And if you kill a hog in the growing parts of the moon the meat gets puffy lots of town people just hoot about this but it works for us and we keep doing that's it. that's interesting and you can tell uh, that is some pretty writing too i love when she talked that first part of that passage was really pretty but she definitely has done some research on yeah on the planning and all that stuff yeah that's the interesting. whole book she says things like that mm-hmm. and i'm thinking How does she know all that? She had to do do some research. uh, In the back of the book, it says the author is a huge history buff, and she Mm -hmm. loves to research. So she obviously has done a lot of research. One part of the book that was actually disturbing to me, but Fanny and her older sister, Alifair, so they do not get along at all. So Mm -hmm. Alifair is this... Super religious person, and she wants to rule the house, and she wants to rule all her sisters. Like Mm -hmm. she wants to be in charge, but she's very hateful. She's always watching Fanny like a hawk because she doesn't trust her, and she's constantly waiting for her to mess up and fail so that she can accuse her of something or punish her. Mm -hmm. Uh, One time, she she held Fanny's head under a water pump and tried to drown her. Oh goodness! Uh, So the mother, and this is interesting too, that they portray the mother as super religious, but she is to the point that she won't face reality so she uses religion kind of just kind of a filler when she doesn't want to deal with reality Mm -hmm. for instance when something bad is happening to her or her family she'll just sit and quote scriptures Mm -hmm. but she's unable to make any sound judgment and the reason i'm telling you this is because we're going to read a passage Mm -hmm. uh, about this so her mom keeps these pebbles and each pebble represents each one of her children all right and she puts the pebbles outside on a stump And depending on the actions and deeds of her children, she either, she places on them on one side of the stump or the other. Well, one side of the stump, you're damned. Mm. And the other side of the stump represents that you're redeemed. Oh, wow. Okay, so, and every night she goes out to the stump and she prays for her children Mm. and she keeps their pebbles, depending on where they're at. Right. She keeps her pebbles on a certain side. So, right now. A good disciplinary tactic. (laughs) Yeah. I just think this is such a good passage. Silence, terrible silence in the kitchen. Alifair turned to me with a smile on her face. Fanny, she asked sweetly. You were there, child. I know your plum wore out from today, but you did say she rode off on Aunt Betty's horse, didn't you? And you went to fetch her home and got all those scratches on your legs? You should see her legs, Pa. The poor little thing's all covered with scratches. Now all had their eyes on me again. I felt my poor scratched legs tremble. I clenched my fist and decided that someday I'd kill my sister, Alifair. How, I didn't know, but I'd think of a way. Fanny, Paul asked. When your sister rode off, did she say where she was a-going? No, Paul, she was just so all fired scared for Johnsy. I asked her, but no, she wouldn't say. How you like that voice? That's good. <laughs> good. More lying, but he believed it. Later, I lay in the darkness of my room, terrified by the awfulness of what I'd done. I couldn't sleep for fear of it. Then, when the house got quiet, the door of my room opened, and Alifair stood over my bed in her long, white nightdress. Come with me, she said. Where? Never you mind. You just come. I went, following her through the darkness of the house, out into the chilly night, fear struck. What was she going to do to me now? Her nightdress fluttered in the chill autumn breeze, like some ghostly thing ahead of me. She held a candle, but didn't light it. Hooty Owls called. Old Blue started fussing, but Alifair hushed him. I followed her to Ma's tree stump, where she stopped and lit the candle. In its yellow light, her face looked down at me, firm and full of purpose. Take your pebble and put it on the side of the damned. I stared up at her. That's Ma's job, not yourn. Do it, or I will tell them you were with Roe today when she warned the Hatfields. I wasn't. She reached out to slap me. I ducked, but her hand caught my ear, and I started to yell. Hush, or you'll get more. Do as I say with the pebble. Now. What will Ma say when she sees it's there? I sobbed. She'll figure Jesus put it there and decide that's where it should be. Now do it. She held the candle over the pebbles. I found mine, the smallest one, because I was the youngest. Now put it on the side of the damned i did so only one other was there now rose so i thought for all her talk ma still thinks ro is damned in the eerie light cast on the tree stump rose and my pebbles looked awful lonesome while on the other side of all the other family pebbles kept each other company "'You're damned for your lie,' Alifair whispered to me. "'Your covenant with God is broken. "'Suppose Jauncey hadn't knocked that gun out of his father's hand. Pa would be dead, and it would be on your head. "'Don't lie anymore. "'Your sin will ride heavy on you "'and maybe even bring his wrath down on this house. "'Now go to bed and think on that.'" Wow, that's a pretty heavy scene. So, who's Roe and why are they on the side so of the Ro dam? Roe is the one that ran off with Jauncey with oh, the Hatfield boy okay. and got pregnant. Right. And so, because she ran off with a Hatfield, she's damned. Gotcha. But uh, here's the thing Roe and Fanny were very close. Okay. They were very good friends. They had the same bedroom. The other girls all shared another bedroom. Right. It was kind of like us against them. Right. Of the so, Alifair is trying to get Fanny to confess that she's been helping Roe and been doing things that. That McCoy's wouldn't agree with. So I'm so glad you read that because you did a much better job than what I I would have. Oh, I don't know. I kept trying to think what voice the (laughs) self-righteous one would have and and then you never know which voice is coming up, but I tried. So I only have two more small passages and these are about yeller things. Oh, okay. And I want to read you. uh, So do you think that's a figment of her imagination or something supernatural? So throughout the book, you're always wondering is this something that's real mm-hmm. or is this something that's going on in her subconscious is mm-hmm. this how she's dealing with things or, or is this some type of premonition? some type I feel of like coping it, i feel like it was a premonition okay. so i'm going to read you two passages where she talks about yellow thing before i climbed the ladder to the tree house i stopped and looked around i was all alone in the woods Sunlight dappled through the colorful trees. A squirrel darted away when he saw me coming. From the distance, some birds were chattering in the trees. Then all of a sudden, they stopped, and it was silent. So silent, all I could hear was the beating of my own heart. Then I felt eyes watching me, yeller thing. I felt the fear crawl up my throat. I felt it in my mouth, my arms, my legs. Fear so black and terrible, it ate me up right there and spit me out. I wiped my face with my hands and looked around again. Now I heard it, a faint hissing growl, like it was sitting there watching me and getting ready to leap. Had he been here all along, knowing I'd come? Or had I conjured him? And then something else happened. I was so all fired mad at my family, at their stupidity, their meanness to Roe, that I didn't care if you thing was there waiting for me. Come and get me, I yelled, come on, I don't care. I screamed it in the silent woods. It echoed, bounced off the trees. The roosting birds took off in fright with a flurry of beating wings, flew away, and then it was silent again. This is the last passage. And I know we've read a lot of passages from this, but I just want people to get a feel for her writing and Mm -hmm. why I like this book so much. Okay, so if you'll just read this last passage. August, 1882. I couldn't recollect the last time I saw him. Times there where i'd forgotten him forgotten to look for him in the woods i couldn't recollect the last time i'd bothered to make a cross in the dirt with my toe spit in it and make a good wish before i left the house i'd come to think of yeller thing as something from my childhood that i had outgrown but there he was slinking and sneaking around as we made our way to mary and tolbert's house greenish yellow and shining with some unearthly glow waiting for me I could feel him looking at me, even though I knew he only had holes where those eyes should be. I could feel the slimy breeze he made as he circled around me, breathing and waiting. Mary didn't see him, of course, so I acted brave and clutched her hand, pretending I was giving her comfort and not that she was giving it to me. Hmm... That's basically all I had. I kind of wanted the book to speak for itself. Right. Can you guess what my word rating is for uh, this How many quilts? How many coffin quilts? Uh, no, it's, I gave it four and a half yeller things. Oh, <laughs> gotcha, yeah. four so and a half yeller yeah, things. Yeah, I gave the book four and a half yeller things. So I would highly recommend this book to anyone who's interested in historical fiction, especially young adult historical fiction, and anyone who likes to read about tragic stories. One thing we didn't really get into that I do just want to mention briefly is the name of the book It's mm-hmm. called the Coffin Quilt. The Coffin Quilt is a real thing. Back in the olden days, families would take they would take a piece of cloth and they would shape it into a coffin. Mm-hmm. They would sew these little coffins onto the edge of the quilt with your family's n- names on it. So, mm-hmm. like our family would have one that says Joy, one mm-hmm. that says Jeannie, Angie, Sherry. And it would have your date of birth on it, and then when you died, your coffin moves to the center of the quilt. So you have to unstitch it, yes, or take the seams out. Or whatever. That's the and, way I understand it. Yeah, and then put your date of your death date on there. Yes, and move it to the center. The center. So okay. in this book. When Ro goes, she goes and she lives with the Hatfields for a while. Mm-hmm. And they have a tradition of making these coffin quilts. So Roe starts her own coffin quilt well, when she moves back home for a while. They don't want that tradition and, from the yeah, and Fanny, Hatfields there. Yeah. Exactly. So Fanny is mortified when she finds out that Roe is making this coffin quilt. Because she's like, I don't want a quilt with our family's na- names on there. And they, Yeah, it does know, seem very morbid. It's very, almost like you're... Yeah, I know we're all going to die, but it's almost mm-hmm. like your tempting yeah, fate. tempting yeah. fate. Thank you. So I will say one more thing about the author. She's written quite a few other books where she kind of does the same thing. So she takes an actual historic event and she'll write a, her own fictional story so based on the historical thing. F- yes. Yeah. And I wrote down three of the books that she's written. So she wrote, and now she's written more than this, but these were the three I thought looked interesting. Mm-hmm. So one was called Cast Two Shadows. It's about the American Revolution in the South. There's one called Finishing Becca, and it's a story about Peggy Shippen and Benedict Arnold. Mm-hmm. Another book was called A Break with Charity, and it's a story about the Salem Witch Trials. Oh, so wow. because I like this book so much, I would totally give one of these other books a chance right. because she's such a good writer. Okay. So do you have anything you'd like to say? No, it sounds good. It's one of those books that I think I do want to read. And you've definitely, uh, my interest has peaked, and I definitely want to try to find time to read it. Okay, awesome. All right, well, what do we got in the works just, um, um, what we got coming down the pipeline? Here. I just read a book about the Holocaust, and it's called mm. Lily's Promise, and I thought it was really good. We're going to talk about that. And also, I just read a biography over Peter Lawford, oh. and it gave all kinds of juicy gossip about the top stars of the day because you know he was JFK's junior's brother-in-law. He oh. was married to the one of the Kennedy girls. Oh, okay. And he was uh, considered part of the Rat Pack. So I have lots of good juicy tidbits to share with you about that book. Okay, that sounds interesting. Well, thank you for joining us, and we will see you next time on Twin Twin Talk. Talk.